Today is Impact Sunday. Today is uh, the week that we launch our annual year-end initiative to increase our ability to fund local and global strategic partners. So we're going to be talking about that today. Uh, we're really excited about that. And I'm almost especially excited in that it's worked out as far as us going through Luke chapter 18 in the series we've been in to just so happen to be at a text, a story in the scriptures that talk explicitly about giving and generosity. So today we're going to be talking about unpacking generosity. We're going to be looking at this famous story of Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler. And I'm really excited about this for a couple of reasons. I find this story really, really interesting for at least two reasons. One, of all the people who came to Jesus and kind of interacted with him, uh, this is probably more than just about any other uh, one who had it, at least on the outside appearance level, uh, all put together. Uh, this guy wasn't really bringing an issue or a concern of his, a problem that he needed to work through. Uh, he, he had it all put together. He was well off, which meant even more back in those times. F people figured you had it all put together in that sense. Uh, he, was a, he was the kind of guy in that society that people would have said was, was nice, was a, was a good person. The other thing I find interesting about this story is that of all the people in the scriptures, perhaps this rich young ruler, as he's known, best epitomizes the Silicon Valley. Uh, wouldn't you say? I mean, I, I would think that of all the people in the scriptures, perhaps the one that really captures what the, the people of the Silicon Valley is a rich young ruler. Uh, we have a lot of people here who are well put together, at least on the surface, or are doing well for themselves financially, don't really have a lot of concerns. I'm not saying everything's perfect in their life, in our lives, but Rich young rulers kind of epitomizes the Silicon Valley. And yet, Jesus here had some wonderful words to say to this guy, but also some challenging words to say to him. So with this in mind, and with the kickoff of Impact Sunday, Impact 2023, uh, we're going to look at the importance of generosity. And how we're going to consider that is considering two things. I'm going to try to go a little quicker today, and I realize we have kids, you know, not in their normal kids programming. So I'm going to try to move uh, that's why I haven't read the scripture yet. We're going to kind of talk about it as we go and all that sort of thing. But two things we're going to, we're going to focus in on as far as what we learn from this, this text, this interaction Jesus has with the rich young ruler. One, what it teaches us about ourselves. And then two, what this interaction Jesus has with this rich young ruler teaches us about God. Okay? Uh, so let's pray and then we'll, then we'll jump into the text. Father, with the backdrop of Christmas, the season that we're entering into now, uh, and we think about giving, and giving generously, uh, we were reminded that uh, you, you first gave us everything. You gave us life. You, gave us, you, you give us so many uh, provisions and blessings. And most of all, you gave us your son to bring us into relationship with you. And so as a church, and as uh, families, as individuals, uh, we pray that you would help us be the type of givers that you call us to be. And I pray that you would use this text to speak to each of us, speak to me, to help us uh, know how you would have us respond. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first thing, again, we're going to try to move here. First thing we see here from this text of Jesus interacting with this rich young ruler is what it teaches us about ourselves. Okay, so we're told in this account there's this wealthy ruler. Those are the words that the gospel writer Luke uses. He's wealthy. He was a ruler. We don't know what type of ruler he was. Uh, Matthew, in his account, 
uh, calls him young, hence we know him as the rich young ruler. This rich young ruler comes to Jesus with a question. Now, one of my favorite questions in our Alpha course that we run, this course uh, we throw as, as, a, as a church, Exploring Christianity, uh, a great get-to-know-you question in that Alpha course is the question, if you happen to be trapped in an elevator with somebody, anybody throughout all of human history, who would you choose that to be, and what question would you ask them? Right? Like, who would you be stuck in an elevator, and what, what would you ask them? I just love that question. Here in this story, this rich young ruler doesn't get to just ask anybody a question. He got to ask Jesus a question. And not just ask any question, but really the question of all questions. He goes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what's pretty incredible here is we have Jesus' recorded answer for us. I mean, let me re-paraphrase this guy's question. He's saying, if there's a God and there's a heaven, how do I get right with him and how do I get there? And we have Jesus' response to him, okay? That's kind of cool. I mean, we can kind of read these scriptures and think, oh, I know this story. But it's a pretty, this is an impactful story here to kind of unpack. And Jesus goes to the answer to this question. But first, he doesn't answer the question literally or on the surface. He, he does something else. If he, by the way, if you have your uh, lyric uh, sheet there in front of you on back, there should be the, the text. So you can follow along with me. In fact, I encourage you to do so. Because, again, I didn't read it here at the top. But if you, if, you, if you track this, the guy says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus being the masterful, brilliant teacher that he is, he, 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 he got at the question behind the question. You know what I mean? And if, in fact, if you do a little bit of a, a study on Jesus and all his interactions with different folks who came up to him with all these questions you'll find that Jesus would often answer the questions literally on the surface. He would do that. But more often than not, he would also get at a qu- you know, the heart behind their question. That's because Jesus was so often concerned most with the heart. And what he, was, what he starts with doing is not answering the question directly, how do you inherit eternal life? He first deals with how the guy addresses him. Good teacher, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, good? Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. Now, here's what's happening already. Uh, Jesus is getting at something behind the scenes and uh, with this guy's heart. This guy, behind his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is saying, hey, what must I do? What are the good things I've got to do to get there? And, and Jesus is already saying, well, you called me good. No, no one's good, dude. You know, no, no one's good. He's trying to tip them off that, okay, hey, you might be, you might be missing something here. Only, only God is good. And we're told, he goes on, to say, okay, you know the commandments. He answers the question literally now. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. You, you know these. Do those things. And it's, we, we're not given this detail, but it's as if this rich young ruler was chomping at the bit. Giddy, in and of himself, going, I've done these things, Jesus. I've done it. Meanwhile, he's forgotten that Jesus has already tipped him off. Say, hey, no one can do these things. No one's good, right? Uh, in Mark's account, it's, it's fascinating. We're told at this point, when, when this guy says, I've done these things since I was a kid, it says Jesus looked at him and, quote, loved him. I love that thought because, remember, we've already said this guy is not tracking with Jesus fully. He's thinking, okay, there's things I've got to do. There's good things I've got to do. Jesus said, hey, there's no one good. By the way, it includes you, man. He's not picking up on it. It says Jesus looks at him and loves him. It doesn't say Jesus looks at him and smacks him aside the head. 
Bro, you're not, you're not tracking with me here. He doesn't do that. He looks at him and loves him. I love that about Jesus. He's just gracious through and through. He doesn't say, dude, were you there when I gave my most famous sermon on the mount where I actually talked about these very commandments, broke them down? You've heard it say, for instance, do not commit, do not commit murder. But I tell you the truth, it's not just the act of murder itself that's breaking that commandment. It's even just harboring hate in your heart towards your neighbor, towards your brother. You call them fool, you're already breaking, because on the spectrum of not murdering in that commandment, you're already causing a lot of harm and destruction. He doesn't say any of that. He just looks at him, loves him, and in the backdrop, he already said no one can be good. So then Jesus adds, okay, you still lack one thing, though. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Verse 23, we're told the rich young ruler at this became, quote, very sad. A more literal translation of that is quite sorrowful. Sorrowful. He became quite sorrowful because he was, quote, very wealthy. It's a fascinating thought for us to consider here. Okay, what's going on? What was Jesus trying to teach this guy back then, and what is he trying to teach us ourselves as we, as we try to take this in? The first thing we, that we need to consider is what Jesus was not teaching. Okay? What Jesus was not teaching was, here's how you inherit eternal life. You sell all your possessions and you give it to the poor. The reason we know this is actually kind of twofold. Number one, no other place does Jesus actually teach that. And there's no other place in the scriptures that say, here's how you inherit eternal life. You sell all your possessions and you give it to the poor. In fact, that also goes in the face of what Jesus is actually in this very story teaching this guy. Dot, dot, dot. We'll get there. The other reason why we know Jesus is not teaching this is there there are actually, I was going to say plenty of people in the scriptures, there are actually a few people in the scriptures who were wealthy and actually did follow the Lord best we could. And they didn't necessarily sell all of it. So we have texts in the scriptures say, hey, there's wealthy people who did have a relationship with God and for all we could tell did inherit eternal life. So it's not just about selling all your, okay, we're tracking. So it's not just about selling your possessions, right? Because even selling your possessions would be doing something good, okay? We've established that. It's not about being good, okay? So then why does Jesus specifically to this guy say, go and sell your possessions to the poor? And then, you'll, then it'll be as you say. Then, you'll, then, you'll, then come follow me. Notice how Jesus answers the phrasing he says. He says, you still lack one thing. There's, there's, there's one thing here you gotta under you got to understand. It's very notable. And I believe that phrase, by the way, is key to understanding. It's one thing. It's notable that Jesus, in quoting the Ten Commandments, skips over a few to quote kind of the latter half of the, the commandments. Okay, if you know the Ten Commandments, or if you, even if you just know of them, when Jesus is saying, how do you inherit eternal life? He starts quoting the latter half. He says, okay, don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness. He, he starts quoting the, the latter half, but he actually skips over the first few. It's kind of important here. The first few, what are the first two commandments? Class. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other God before you, before me. Number one. And number two, you shall not make any idol. Don't make a false God. And what Jesus was doing with this rich young ruler was helping him see that he wasn't putting God first. He was really putting himself first. And more specifically, he was doing that through his wealth. Wealth had been his false idol. Uh, I had, I've had a few of you come up to me more recently. It's, it's funny. It's, I love this. Uh, a couple of you have come up to me recently and you said, hey, David, you haven't done any uh, Tolkien uh, metaphors in a while. You haven't done any Tolkien illustrations. I'm like, challenge accepted. 
Well, really, this is kind of funny as it's coming to me right now. Uh, really, this is the Tolkien metaphor to rule them all, okay? Uh, because it's really, if you think about Tolkien's most straightforward allegory, his metaphor that really is just trying to, at the heart of his text, is really the ring of power, right? And the ring of power was Tolkien's way of saying, this is how I, idolatry works in our hearts, Okay? Back in the ancient times, you guys know this, they would make little figurines, little idols, and they would worship, say, the god of wealth or the goddess of love or whatever it might be. It wasn't so much the figurine that they were worshiping. It was, it was the god, it was the force behind it. I want to be successful. I want to have wealth. I want to have that relationship. And Tolkien kind of plays with that idea with the ring of power to show how it's very easy for us to take even good things and they become what? Our precious, right? You know the story. That's so bad. I'm sorry. That was cringy, right? So, yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's a helpful metaphor because if you think about it, all the people in Tolkien's books that get that little ring and they lose it, what happens? They lose it. They lose themselves. They're overcome with despair. And even worse, when they get it, what happens? They don't even realize it, but it's still consuming their lives. And that's kind of the idea we're talking about. What this, teach, what this text teaches us, what this interaction that Jesus has with this rich young ruler teaches us is that you and I are prone to put other things before God. We are prone to find ultimate things and things apart from God. For this guy, it was wealth, but we can do that in any number of ways. Success, power, status. Look, you don't have to be religious to see that Silicon Valley tends to bend the knee to success, power, and status. Many of us bend the knee to success, power, and status. Wouldn't you say? It's real easy. Or think about things like pleasure, comfort, security. We live in crazy times. When you think about pleasure, we can literally buy almost anything and experience almost anything at the snap of fingers. And yet, we also know it never satiates. We just need more, okay? Relationships. What others perceive of us can easily be idols. I've had good buddies, good friends, good, you know, people who take their faith very seriously say, in, not, in, in, in basically so many words, oh, God must not love me because he hasn't provided a, a wife for me. Or, or whatever it might be. Okay. Uh, I'm going to try to keep pressing forward. We can't spend too much time because I understand kids are, you know, it's all part of the deal. So maybe we'll break this down more in current groups this week. But here's something I do want to ask as we consider this thought. How can we consider, how can we discern for ourselves what idols we might have in our hearts? Because here's the thing about this text. We really got to pay attention. The rich young ruler had no clue that wealth was ruling his life. Wouldn't you say? But Jesus in one sentence bore all that wide open for him. You know what I'm saying? He, He didn't see it. How do we discern idols in our own hearts? How do we discern what the thing that we might be putting in front, in front of God, say, that might be ruling us, that are precious, to use that example? I would suggest three things. Uh, one, thing one thing is you can ask, what is it that so preoccupies your thoughts? Cindy and I had a past, pastor who used to say, what is, what's something that keeps you up at night? And I'm not just saying just kind of worries you a little bit, but I'm saying worries you probably to a disproportionate degree. It just, to the point of anxiety. And maybe you go, oh, well, it's a relationship at work. Or, then here's what you do. You do the next question. Well, why is that relationship at work really working me up? Does that make sense? Then you're getting at maybe what's behind that. Oh, man, they kind of undercut me to get that job that I really wanted. And I realize it's really that job. that You, you, you do the hard work. It's not, I'm not saying this is easy, guys. So that's one question. The other one is, and this is more for those of you who are followers of Christ, 
Is there anything in your life that you use as a measuring stick to gauge God's love for you? Oh, he hasn't given me that job promotion. He must not love me. Or, oh, he hasn't given me that relationship. He might not even be there. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, that's another the question. Another question we can ask ourselves is something like, what do we go to exceedingly great lengths to try to get and maybe even all the more justify in our hearts and our minds, not seeing the wake of pain or whatever might cause behind us. There's different ways. If you're feeling really brave, and I'm not just saying that tongue-in-cheek, if you're feeling really brave, you can ask someone close to you what might be your idol, but be real careful with that because, I mean, I think Tolkien really hits it on the head when he says, it's my precious. You notice all the good characters who love them? Sam even tries to take it away from Frodo. All right, you asked me to get into Tolkien. Here you go. Even with Sam, who Frodo knows loves him to pieces, as Frodo's like, wait a minute, what are you doing? We gotta be real, it, that's a, it's a very astute metaphor. Uh, but the point here is we can very easily make other things become the thing in place of God. And for this dude, it was his wealth. He, hadn't, he had put himself and really choosing wealth ahead of God. And just think of it this way. This guy... I, I was thinking about this as I was trying to figure out how to phrase this. I was like, this guy has an opportunity of a lifetime. No, he didn't even, it wasn't even just his, an opportunity of a generation. This guy had the opportunity of human history to follow Jesus Christ in the flesh. Jesus said, come follow me, and he couldn't do it. Why not? He went away very self because he had, he went away very sorrowful because he had great wealth. Jesus was trying to set him free from the clutches of this idol in his life. Even something that's not necessarily bad in and of itself, he was trying to set him free. And so he says in verse 22, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Again, is that, say, is that Jesus saying, here's how you inherit eternal life, everybody? Go and sell your possessions and then, no, no, no. He was talking to this specific guy and saying, hey, this is what you're choosing yourself as your own ruler, as your own leader, Lord, in your life, in wealth. And I want to free you from that. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor. And he goes on to say, you can check this in, your, in your, the scripture there. He says, oh, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's this whole, this thing, this whole thing about camels and needles. I don't have time to get into that now, but the whole point of that is Jesus goes on to say, it's basically impossible for rich people, and actually anybody, in a sense, to get into heaven but then he goes on to say these remarkable words. What is it? impossible for, for humankind is possible for God, which leads us to our second thought. What is this interaction with, that Jesus has with the rich young ruler teaches about God? It teaches us that he came to do everything for us on our behalf. So Jesus was not misleading when he said, go keep all the commandments. And by the way, no one is good. But he goes on to say, but only God is good. And of course, Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus came to do, keep the commandments perfectly on our behalf. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus, that he came to do the very thing we're called to do, but cannot do because we're humans. God did the impossible. And you know, where this guy was bending the knee to wealth, you know what, Jesus, who not only had all worldly wealth, had all heavenly riches, gave it all up to live on this world poor. And not just to give us some of his time, energy, teaching, but to give us his life. 
so that we can have life and we can have eternal life and all the rich inheritance of heaven. He did all that for us by dying on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, that if we would receive it by faith, it would be a free gift of grace. And this guy missed it because of his wealth. God did the unthinkable. He did the impossible. He gave his son to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And if you're here today and you have never received this, I hope you hear nothing else today other than this is available to you. It's mind-boggling to me. I can't get my head around it. But God makes the same eternal life available to you and me as he did to this guy 2,000 years ago, today, right here in this room, if you would receive Jesus by faith, asking for forgiveness of sins that he has offered to you on the cross. And you can do that in your heart right now. Say, Lord, I receive you. Please forgive me my sin, and I want to follow you. I realize I put other things before you, and I don't want to do that. I want to put you first. And where I don't do that, would you help me cast those aside and put you first? You can receive Jesus today, eternal life. And for those of you who have received him, uh, there's, of course, a call here. There's a, there's a warning, right? Because there's, there's this very real thing that we're prone to putting other things before God. We're, we're very prone to bending the knees to things like status, power, acclaim, health, beauty, perception of others, pleasure, comfort, security. And we need God's help to free us from bending the knee to those things that can hold us in their clutches. And God wants to help us with it, but we have to ask and receive that. Follow him is the call. And then, friends, I, I want to say this too. Because this text explicitly focuses in on wealth, we need to be especially mindful of this, and I feel like all the more in our culture. If you've been to one of our welcome lunches, you know that I like to quote uh, CEO Pat Gelsinger. He's, he's former CEO of VMware, now CEO of uh, Intel. He was in an interview. He was once asked uh, about kind of different dynamics in the Silicon Valley, and he said... According to certain measures, Silicon Valley is the richest part of the United States. Which, think about that. It's one of the richest, if not the richest parts of the world throughout humankind, okay? All right. If you look at certain measures, he said, Silicon Valley is essentially the richest part of the U.S., while also simultaneously falling near dead last in per capita charitable giving. I mean, think about that. We're the richest, but also most miserly. And we also come to the Silicon Valley to change the world. But really, what are we doing? If you look at the data, we're changing our pockets. You don't have to be religious to be cut to the heart on that one. But friends, you know what we're called to as, as Christ followers? It's to lead out and first of all saying, yeah, we probably bend the knee to money a little bit more than we ought to. And second of all, we need to look to give generously because that's what Jesus says is an antidote here. If you live in a wealthy society, you're like a rich young ruler. Jesus gave the guy a bit of an antidote. Wouldn't you say? He said, okay, here's what you do. Sell your possessions, give it all to the poor, then come follow me. Is that the way you're going to receive salvation? It's not the way you necessarily receive salvation. Putting God first is how you receive salvation. Receiving what God's done through Jesus is how you receive salvation. But one of the ways you can help money not rule you and my heart, your heart and my heart, is to give and to give freely, to give generously. Does that mean you have to give it all? No, that's not what Jesus says of all of us. He said to that guy, but we're called to give, and that's the hope behind impact, that we would give, and that we would give to the poor so that we would see increasingly, increasing impact in the name of Jesus. As Cindy makes her way up, she's going to be sharing more spe uh, specifics 
and vision around impact, which I'm excited for you, for you to hear. I want to share one quick story. Uh, when Cindy and I went through church assessment, so when you start a church, um, there's a lot of organizations and groups out there that, uh, microphone's over here if you want it, um, that will assess you. And by that, it just means they put you, and if you're married, the two of you into an absolute fishbowl. Like they just start asking you all these questions about your marriage, like the Bible, theology, all sorts of, they just, because they want to try to help. Hey, if you're going to do this thing, you need to feel confident that people like affirm you in that. And also if people are going to give to that, they need to feel confident that other people, that you get the idea. Well, at one point they were having us do kind of fundraise pitches because if, if you're going to start a church, you kind, of, you kind of have to ask people for money, that kind of thing. And I did, I did uh, my part and I just kind of sat back down. And then I, I was sitting there listening to these other uh, guys give their pitches. And I had what I... I, and please understand, I don't just say these words idly, okay? I, I had what I felt to be a bit of a Holy Spirit moment. I had what I felt to be a bit of a God speaking to me quite clearly moment. I heard these dudes, a number, they were from all over California. A couple of these guys were saying, hey, we're looking to start a church in East LA. Others who, I want to start a church in, in East Oakland. And I had a moment where I felt two things very strongly. One, oh my goodness, for us to actually get up and running in a place like the Silicon Valley, God, you're going to have to do a miracle. And I'm not making this up with you guys. I, I felt that verse that we actually just read come to me. It's like, well, what's not, it's not possible for, God, for, for people is possible with God. Okay, that'll be a miracle. Think about God's goodness standing here before you right now, guys. The other thing I felt in that moment was, oh my goodness, if God gets us up and running, that miracle happens, we will, as a church in the Silicon Valley, have a calling on us as Christians, as a church, to steward those funds to help people like those churches, to help people in these neighborhoods who don't have the rich young ruler type resources that we do here. Does that make Silicon Valley better and wow, we got No, it just means that's part of our calling to steward. Is this making sense? And so that's what a big part of impact is all about. Going back to the earliest of days, right after we started the church in 2016, we essentially had our impact 2017 uh, back then. We set a goal of $10,000. We're going to raise 10. You need to understand, this is when we were very highly supported externally. Lots of outside churches helping make, and, and friends and families helping make current run, okay? We're doing a fun, you know, we're doing an initiative, even though that's basically the deal, but we want to start the way we meant to go on. $10,000, we're like, let's raise that. God brought in $8,700. You better believe I remember that number. We celebrated. That was pretty cool. At this point in this journey, up to right now, God, through the current family, has now brought in over half a million dollars. Isn't that incredible? Over $500,000 through the current family down the years to help support church plants, ministries, uh, people that Cindy are gonna, is going to share more about. And I would just say in the backdrop, friends, let's just, we follow a generous God. How can we give increasingly generous to see his kingdom come and given his name. So Cindy, you want to share more about the vision behind it? Yes, thank you. Uh, this is a, a good time for you guys out there, uh, the welcome team, if you guys could hand out the impact flyers uh, to uh, the half of the church that's sitting outside. There's a lot of cognitive dissonance. We were running back and forth and seeing like, in here it's like very peaceful. You kids are doing an amazing job. And out there, there's, you know, everyone's crawling around on carpets, also quite peaceful. Um, you guys are doing a good job out there too. Um, but it's a very different setup this morning. Thank you guys uh, for working with us and for our amazing team team um, for making this happen. 
Um, if you want to take out this flyer on your seat, it actually shows some of the highlights um, that we've had the privilege uh, to give and serve together as a church community in 2022. Um, we often get asked, how do we choose our impact partners? Uh, I got asked this actually a couple times this fall. How do we choose our impact partners? And the answer is we want to partner with organizations that hold out both tangible and spiritual help the way that Jesus did. So if you look through the gospel accounts or the biographies of Jesus in the Bible, we see so many accounts of Jesus providing food, physical care, healing, right, alongside forgiveness, grace, and the sharing of the gospel. Our aim is to partner with gospel-hearted organizations that are not only effective in meeting the tangible needs of our neighbors, but also realize that God's grace, the hope of Jesus, and pointing people to eternity is the ultimate way that we're called as a church to offer hope. So we got an email this week from one of our longest-standing impact partners, Foster the City, that I think encapsulates this really well. Let me read an excerpt for you. The story of Christmas resonates with every human heart, and not just in December. Every generation, in a thousand different ways, has told the story of a knight in shining armor showing up when all hope seemed lost, and does battle with evil and brings light to the darkness, rescue for the lost, and healing to the broken. Could it be that we are so stirred by these themes and stories because this is what we long for ourselves? This is what makes Christmas so powerful. But the Christmas story doesn't begin with once upon a time. It begins with, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. The book of Luke, chapter 2. In other words, this isn't just fantasy or fiction. The true knight in shining armor, the true prince and savior, came at a real time and a real place, and he's come to bring real hope and healing. Jesus is the light and love that our city is longing for. The weary world rejoices, and we not only get to be recipients of that love, we are also the conduits. Today, we pause to thank God for the many who are extending his love to our vulnerable neighbors. As he moved toward us, we now do the same for those in need. It is our great privilege, current family, to partner with gospel-hearted organizations like Foster the City, who understand that as they seek to build a coalition of churches working together to provide a safe home for each child in the foster system, they're also laser-focused on the fact that we do this as conduits of Christ's love. This year, we had the opportunity not only to send our annual $15,000 partnership gift to foster the city, but several of our mixed groups are using impact funds to prepare several thousand dollars worth of presents for foster children this Christmas. And we also had the opportunity for the kids in one of our groups, you guys sitting up there, a lot of you guys did that, to pack appreciation kits for social workers in Foster the City's network and all that they do for the vulnerable children in our county. 
Another organization we want to highlight that's on your sheet there is Tribe in East Oakland, a Christian nonprofit that does a lot of food distribution that not only meets the needs of vulnerable neighbors, but gives them opportunity to give the dignity of work to a lot of these neighbors, including youth with high needs, helping them to believe that they have hope for a future, helping them to apply for vocational schools and believe that they can get into college. Our C2 Young Professionals groups are working actually the next two weeks uh, to, together to provide Christmas gifts for the youth in Tribe's program and the children of these vulnerable families that work for Tribe. And we want to share a brief story of one of these youth uh, that Tribe's director sent over this week. Her name has been changed uh, to protect her. Chandra is 17 now, but we've known her since she was in late elementary school. Her and her mom and two brothers were living for years in a storage shed behind a house near San Antonio Park with no running water. Her mom started working for Tribe in 2018 when we got a grant to do advocacy and outreach work for hard-to-reach families in the neighborhood. In 2019, their home burned down while the kids were home alone. It was really traumatic, and the family ended up living with different folks for a couple of years. Chandra's father is incarcerated, and when her mom's partner was murdered in 2020 at the encampment down the street, her mom and brothers left the area. Chandra chose to stay here and started living out of a car. Tribe has supported her and her family with food, cash assistance, and relational support through all of these challenges. Chandra and her family accepted the Lord when she was in middle school at one of their R retreats and recently was able to graduate from high school early by taking extra classes at night. She's working full-time at a coffee shop, providing for herself and others in her household. Pray for her that she'll get to a place where she is able to dream about the future and work towards something that can sustain her long-term. She is really amazing and incredibly smart. The Christmas gifts will go to her, her brothers, and her boyfriend's siblings, too. This is just a glimpse of Tribe's ministry. There are many, many other stories. It's our honor to play a small part in providing Christmas hope to the youth in their organization and in their sphere around San Antonio Park. We also showed a video about We Hope last Sunday, and it's available online, so I won't go too much into that here. But it's a shelter ministry based in East Palo Alto with many related services to people experiencing homelessness. And this phrase is something that Alicia, who was here with us last year, encourages us to use. They're not the homeless. They're people experiencing homelessness. That, that uh, all these services come together with a vision to see neighbors healthy, employed, and housed. In addition to our $15,000 partnership gift this year, our C3 group went this last Wednesday to bring dinner using impact funds and to serve the shelter residents. We get to sponsor Christmas gifts for We Hope's 137 staff and to sponsor the shelter graduation on December 20th that several of our mixed groups will be going to serve at. Kids, raise your hands if you guys are working on a Christmas card today. Are you working on a Christmas card? Thank you, guys. These are for the shelter graduates on December 20th, and we're thank you for helping us, for loving the shelter residents at We Hope. Much more to say about partnerships. These are just some of our highlights. Um, we are also so grateful for the opportunity to, to support an increasing number of church plants, as David mentioned, here in the Bay Area. About 10 churches and a number of our friends and family outside of Current partnered generously with us in the first three to five years to help Current get off the ground and to get to self-sustaining. Now we get to pay that forward. And as David talked about, this gets us really excited 
to invest in other church plants here in the Bay because we strongly believe that church planting is the single most impactful way to reach people in a city with the gospel. This is the inaugural year for our current church plant grant. We've been giving to support new church plants in the Bay Area for several years now, but the fund is now big enough, over $60,000 this year, that Current's board wisely suggested that it was time to have a bit of an application process. And a small team of our leaders will get together to decide each year, reading these applications, deciding how the grant money is going to be deployed to the various Bay Area church plants in our network, many of you, the ones that you see listed uh, on the back of the flyer there. And then, of course, we've had some critical opportunities to meet needs internationally this year as well. At this time last year, we didn't know to set aside almost $30,000 because Russia was going to invade Ukraine, right? Um, but by God's grace and because of your generous giving, we were able to respond immediately with two key missionary partners on the ground, holding out both tangible and spiritual support in what quickly became a refugee crisis when conflict began. We've also been able to continue our partnership with AMG Homespot in Greece. $10,000 is going toward providing Christmas celebration meals for Syrian, Kurdish, and Afghani refugees, as well as two winter camps for children this year. We have Afghani refugees here on the ground in the Bay Area as well. Many of our groups, you guys might remember, stuffed 10,000 Easter eggs to fill outreach care packages for them in the spring. Uh, many, many opportunities for us to be involved in the things that uh, God is doing here in the Bay and beyond. These are just glimpses of what God has done this year. Um, we're really grateful uh, to be able to start going back to serve some of these partners in person, and we hope this will increase even more in 2023. And we, we look forward to all that God has in store, um, we ask you to prayer, ask all of us to prayerfully consider making a year-end gift um, to increase our impact for next year. All of it augments what we're able to do together as a church based here out of the Computer History Museum. You can find all of the information for this um, on the flyer on how to give, and we can also take impact gifts in the form of stock donations. You can email stockdonations at currentsv.church. Awesome. Hey, can we give a, a round of applause to the Lord? I feel like when we celebrate these sorts of things, it's, a, it's an important reminder that, hey, this is all from the Lord that we get to steward for him. And as we celebrate these things, it's just like a humble gift to be like, man, we, we had a partner recently email say, thank you so much for supporting. And I, like, honestly, the first thing that went through my head is like, no, 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 thank you that we get to give. It's like, and I feel like that's the, our goal here is we get to give because the Lord has given to us. And just, I know Cindy said this, but just to make it exceedingly clear, 100% of what's given goes to augment what we're doing in the community and around the world. So it's really exciting to think about the w different ways that God has already been doing that and the ways we hope to increase that in the future. I want to close with this last little part of the text. Uh, this is Peter coming to Jesus after this interaction with the rich young ruler. Peter, the main disciple of Jesus, says, We, Jesus lest you forget, have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus says right here and in other places, as we give, God will richly bless us. Now, that's not to make it some formula that as you give, God will give a certain way to you and your situation will come in monetary form. That's not how it works. But the promise is he will richly bless 
us here and into the next life. Jesus had no qualms talking about, hey, you should invest. Just invest in things that last. And so we give for that reason, but most of all, we don't give so that we even receive a blessing. We've already received all we need in Jesus. We give because we follow a generously giving God, and we get to give in His name and be a part of His eternal work that, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to get to celebrate for all eternity. It's fun to kind of celebrate some of that here and now, but hey, this is just a foretaste of what we're really looking forward to. So we encourage you to prayerfully consider joining with us for Impact 23. Let me say a prayer as the band comes up. Father, thank you so much again for first giving to us. You've you've given us so much in ways that we just don't deserve. Uh, you, You bless us in every sense, but most of all, you gave us yourself. You gave us your son to die for us and to give us eternal life. We can't be good, but you, good Father, sent your son to do what is what we couldn't do for ourselves. And so, Father, we say thank you for that. And would you help us with that in the backdrop? Give. And, uh, you know, I want to pray specifically as a church as we launch 2023 that you would, you would bless those efforts for your glory. But also just apart from that, just as, as followers of yours where you have us, you help us be people of generosity, serving you first with all that you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.